Emily Rundell Watson, and this is Taproot Edmonton Presents Igniting Innovation. As you probably know by now, I'm here with Zach Storms, founder of Startup TNT. Hi, Zach. Hi, Emily. So I'm really excited about today's episode and the two women we're going to meet. They're both entrepreneurs leading Edmonton tech startups. But before we get to that, it's Investment Summit Week. So can you catch us up on what the top five companies from each city and the investors have been up to for, I guess, the last month or so? And what has that due diligence process been like? Absolutely. It's been a whirlwind and it's been a lot of fun. And I'm really impressed with the uh, the level of due diligence our investors are putting into this. So there was those couple of pitch nights. There were some coffee meetings. And at the end of October... The investors ranked the companies that they like, the top 10 companies out of the 20 that applied uh, in the top 20. And uh, they basically scored them in, or, in rank order of who they're most interested in. And we took those rankings, grouped them together and uh, tallied them up and said, okay, this is what the, the collective knowledge of our group has picked as our top five. And then we just spent the last few weeks zeroing in on those top five and they share a data room with us. For some of the companies, They've been meeting with investors weekly or a couple of times a week, giving them updates, sharing information. Basically, each company is assigned a handful of investors, and one of the investors plays the lead role on due diligence, which means they facilitate meetings, coordinate things, share questions from the investment group with the company, and just kind of act as that bridge between the company and the group. And we have a pretty extensive checklist of things to go through. We have like a, an itemized list of 65 things that sophisticated investors will check before they invest in a company. Now, at this stage, and for us as angel investors, we don't necessarily go into detail on each one of those 65 items. But the point is just that for the entrepreneurs and the investors, like these are all the things that sophisticated investors consider when making an investment and things that we should consider as well, if applicable. So the two companies that I'm talking to have both been through this process. They're getting ready for the big pitch at the Investment Summit. So let's get into this episode. Ali Canal is the founder and CEO of Resume Free, and Emily Craven is the CEO of Story City. And they are, like I said, two of the Edmonton companies in the top five for the Startup TNT Investment Summit. And beyond that, I will let them tell you all about themselves. Hello. Hi. Hi. I'm hoping you can start off with just a quick introduction. Tell me a little bit about each of your companies. Ali, do you want to go first? Sure. So I'm Ali Canole. I'm the founder and CEO of Resume Free. We are a screening as a service tool that matches employers and candidates on over 200 data points, and not one of those is a resume. So our job is to make sure that our employers hire faster, hire cheaper, and hire better quality candidates because we're using objective data rather than subjective feelings to make hires. Okay. And Emily? I am Emily Craven. Uh, I originally hail from Brisbane, Australia, but I've been in uh, Edmonton now for around about uh, two years. And I am the CEO of a company called Story City. So uh, at Story City, we like to say we transform streets into adventures. So we create new ways for people to interact with cities via our marketplace and our app for location-based storytelling. So the idea is that whether it's a real-life choose-your-adventure, a puzzle trail, or a historic tale through uh, the city streets, it will only open if you're actually standing in the right location. So it's our mission to kind of empower creators to make a career in the cities they love by, by telling stories that you can live and step into. Okay, neat. Emily, I want to ask you a little more about your story. So you moved here to Edmonton. What was the draw? 
Edmonton specifically was originally not the plan. The plan was originally to move to to Canada just in general. We had been running Story City in Australia for a couple of years and realized that if we were to make something that was truly scalable, that uh, one of the better places to do that was in North America. And Canada is a place that I've been to before and, and absolutely loved. And so we... And when I say we, it's my husband and myself. I convinced him to allow me to move Story City to to Canada. And we ended up in Edmonton because of his job. But I'm honestly really glad that we did because Edmonton has been this wonderful community of very supportive people. It's a very vibrant community. There's so much talent in, in Edmonton and in Alberta. You know, Edmonton was the place where a lot of gaming has happened in Canada, but it's also a place whose innovation system is currently revitalizing itself. And I kind of got to be here at the start of all that, and this is all I've ever known. So whenever I speak to anybody about Edmonton, I'm like, oh yeah, they, you know, they have this wonderful ecosystem. There are so many very smart companies here and lots of great talent. And I think I'm a little bit biased in that way because I kind of came in at the time when all of these sorts of wonderful things were beginning to happen. Can you tell me a little bit more about that in terms of what resources does Edmonton offer that's different than back home? What really separates it and keeps you here? Yeah, I mean, in Australia, I found that the investment landscape was a lot of talk and not a lot of investing. So Australia is is it's smaller in population than Canada and the sorts of investment that happens tends to happen in kind of like those mid-range small to medium enterprises, the ones that already have, you know, like their one to 10 million revenue yearly. And anyone who is kind of looking to to raise in the tech space in Australia can really lose a lot of their company very early because the the investment landscape in Australia is really conservative. Whereas what I found here in Canada and in Edmonton is that people are much more willing to invest in that pre-seed and seed stage. They have a lot more programs like um, the Startup TNT program, which is really friendly for helping people kind of get their feet wet in due diligence and business models and and all of those kind of uh, support systems there. But then you also have these wonderful community leaders who are running events and, and networking. And so I found that if I ask for someone to connect me to community partners, I'll get 10 hands go up to do that. The Great Alberta Pitch Marathon, which was held earlier this year, resulted in a bunch of people contacting us and being like, I'd like you like to connect you to somebody I know. The greater accessibility to funding and funding earlier on in a company's journey. But then uh, also a lot of people, particularly in Canada, I found have been really willing to be advisors and to help you actually get settled in Canada as a, a proper company and, and help you find team members and, and those kind of things, which again, in Australia, we used to lose a lot of our tech talent to to overseas, to, to places like Canada and the US. Such an interesting perspective. I am not from Edmonton either. I'm not from Australia, but I'm from the other side of the country and uh, not necessarily from an innovation lens, but I think I agree Edmonton has a lot to offer. Ali, I want to throw it back to you. So you got connected with the community through Startup TNT, Zach told me. Mm-hmm. Is it tough to break into the sector? Some people have said that, or is it more accessible than it seems at first glance? 
you know, it actually is way more accessible than it seems. I, I think a lot of people are scared because they look at the ecosystem and think, oh, well, I have to run a specific tech company and it needs to be, you know, growing and I need to be a tech founder. And truthfully, I'm none of those. I'm like, I am a non-technical tech founder and my background actually is in human resources and recruitment. And so when I came to the ecosystem, you know, as somebody that, you know, born and raised in Edmonton, did spend some time out in Vancouver, but came back. My network and my, you know, my sphere of influence was actually in a different area. And going into kind of that phase where you say, I have a great idea. I want to start something awesome. It was, you know, starting to reach out to a few different places to see what would actually stick. And so I started in a different ecosystem that had kind of an open door policy, which was fantastic. And then I found out about Startup TNT kind of casually through one of those connections uh, where somebody said to me, do you like meeting new people? I went, uh-huh. Do you like beer? I was like, oh yeah, I love beer. <laughs> and so they, you know, hush, hush. Well, there's this meeting that happens on Thursday nights and it's in a it's in a local brew house that's closed right now. But if you come in on a Thursday, so there was some kind of trepidation from the get go, like, what am I getting myself into? But really, you know, going into a space that was close to the public. So we knew that only the people that were there found out about startup TNT. And it was like this, you know, nobody talks about TNT, but everybody talked about TNT. And going and repeatedly going and seeing the same faces and then starting to have these ideas that just kind of, they spill out of you when you're in a kind of, uh, you know, your guard is let down situation. So when you're not constantly thinking about where the next big build is going to be in your product or, you know, where you're going to contact the next clients, when you get to sit down and talk about the progress you've made with people and talk about their progress that they've made and actually get into the ecosystem, much like what Emily was saying, this ecosystem is fantastic. There's so many people that want to collaborate with you and want to truthfully see you succeed. Whereas others, you know, it's a, a little bit of lip service. And I think Startup TNT is one of those things where it's a grassroots movement that has really started to, to change how people perceive our ecosystem in the tech sector, I would say. It was very welcoming. It seems like it's a big leap of faith to move into the industry, and it's not. I mean, we have to take a look at how fast and furious we did, you know, two to three years worth of technological innovation happened in two to three weeks this year. And so, you know, we're trending towards being more tech savvy, being more technology focused and for greater automation of things that have traditionally been done by people. So taking a look at the supports that are in play already in the ecosystem, there's just going to be so many others you know, that when we do get formal recognition that we are working hard in this particular region in, in Edmonton and in Alberta, like the saying goes, like a tide raises all boats. We're, we're basically the ones that are calling the water to us right now, I would say. I would have to say that I really agree with Ellie and that like Edmonton is one of those ecosystems that doesn't just do lip service. It actually takes the step, that next step forward and, and actually does something about the ecosystem and welcomes people in. And I'm like, Ali, I, I am not from a tech background. I have like a science degree, but like <laughs> my my main experience over the past 10 years has been in publishing. And I am the founder of a tech company, which is bizarre to me. If you'd <laughs> asked 10 year, 10 year ago, Emily, 
do you think you'd be running a tech company? I'd be like, mm-hmm. <laughs> no. Yeah, this wasn't in my five-year plan either. <laughs> no, it's so it's so neat and such a neat community. You know, and I've loved really hearing more about it through this podcast series. Yeah, and through talking with Zach and you know, I think that there it's true, like there is so much to offer. And it's neat to see how like yes, companies are scaling and people have new ideas, but also the ecosystem and sector itself is really growing and taking off. So I want to dive into pitching. As you both have been getting ready to pitch at the investment summit, you've gone through the initial pitch night at the beginning of October. What's that whole process been like for you? <laughs> we're both uh, I'd like to say that we're experienced now and I think Emily you and I have been in this is our third pitch competition together fourth we did start Alberta so. too yeah mm-hmm. four so uh we're the uh old professionals if you will <laughs> It's kind of daunting to go up against somebody with a journalism background. Though. <laughs> Pitching is it, its own beast altogether. I think there's um, a couple different things, like how do you get your message across clearly enough in the time frame? And I think the biggest challenge is three minutes is not enough. And so it's kind of working it down to the to the bare bones of what you need to get across to the the audience that you're pitching to. Most recently, there was uh, another pitch competition that I didn't know who was in the audience. And so I got a lot of technical questions that I wasn't able to answer because of of the very large development uh, portion of the audience that were uh, attending the pitch. So unfortunately, you have to know who your audience is and who you're pitching to, number one, I would say. With the whole process, it's just honing and crafting your message to to be better each and every time. And and testing it with as many people as possible as well, right? Yeah. Because I have tested so many random variations of my pitch and it gets better and better every time. And it doesn't mean that there still aren't confused people at the end. And I mean, like, that's what the, the question and answer section of, of a pitch is for. And I think that I've, I've kind of come to recognize that when you have that time limit, you get as much across as possible and you leave the obvious questions out because then you can control the Q&A portion, right? Because if you leave out the Mm -hmm. obvious things like you only talk briefly about your team or you only talk briefly about your financial model or or, uh, your competition, for example, then you know exactly what questions are coming in question time and you can sound incredibly articulate because you know that those are the questions that are coming because you very purposefully left them out of your pitch because you you can only fit so much into that time. And so I think it's a little bit of knowing what you can leave in and what you can leave out and then how you can leverage other parts of the pitch. How much time do you actually spend pitching and preparing to pitch as entrepreneurs? Well, with that, I think you're always pitching as an entrepreneur. It's just a different, yeah, always be pitching. If you're not pitching a client, then you're pitching an investor or somebody that might be willing to donate some funds towards your cause. It, with And with the preparation of the pitching, like to give you an idea, I'm on version 17 of my pitch deck. 
right now, <laughs> oh, wow. right? So yes. like someone, you'll you'll get feedback from an angel or from a VC or from a mentor or, or from, you know, XYZ person and then you'll refine it and you'll send it back to them and they'll be like, okay, this makes more sense. And then the next time you refine it and you'll send it back to them and then you have like a couple of different pitches. So I will have a pitch where I talk about like UN sustainable development goals because we have a social impact side of what we do. And so we will use that when we speak to nonprofits and government and those kind of things. And then on the other side of things, we focus purely on entertainment and gaming value. And even in like the little short versions of like investor pitches, some of those will have traction in them. Some of them will have references to particular like jargon. I have about like a dozen short pitches as well, which, which, go the gamut for a whole bunch of different industries. I think that Ali and I are both interesting in the fact that we span, we can span quite a few different types of industries and each of those industries has a different thing that they care about. Absolutely. So when it comes to the pitches with investors, what I'm trying to do is we're focusing a little bit more towards investment presently. So it's probably about 10% of the time that I spend. And again, what Emily was saying, because we're industry agnostic, it's really difficult to just be like, here's our blanket statement about who we are. It's really getting into that, why us, why now, and why buy? And so what value do we bring to them? What's important that they need to know about purchasing our product? And then why is it important to do it immediately? (laughs) And so if there's only three minutes that you have to do a pitch, or, you know, even if it's less, like if you're doing an elevator you know, pitch that literally it's 30 seconds or less, then you really have to hone that message to kind of have the the first statement and then kind of go deeper. Pitching is definitely an art. As someone who different kind of pitching, but has spent many years pitching every weekday morning uh, as a journalist, I know it, it's hard to get down to really the core about what you want people to know. In terms of taking part in pitching competitions, pitching all the time. Do you find that to be a distraction? Does it take away from your business and actually selling to customers when you have to focus so much of your time on that? Or do you think it's equally as important? Well, I think it's ROI. So there is a time cost to it, but I think that I am the face of the company. This is my company. This is my brand. This is who I am. And so when I go out and I do the pitching, that's a way for me to to tell people like the purpose behind it all. And then if that resonates with them, then those people most likely are going to be our clients because they have an opportunity or they have a need that aligns with what we're talking about solving that problem for them. So I I feel like it's a return for whatever I'm pitching for. I either get connections or I get introductions or I get, you know, investors interested. And so all of those things are really beneficial to my company at this point. So every time that there is a stage, you know, (laughs) selfishly, I'll try and get up there. (laughs) 100% because, you know, awareness is something, attention is something that a lot of people are trying to get, particularly when you're talking about pitching to investors or even pitching to clients. And so the more that people can hear you speak rather than read, because when you hear people speak, when you hear their tone of voice, when you hear the passion in their voice, people gravitate towards that much more than interpreting text on a page that they found in a Google search. And so the speaking is one of the the most powerful ways for people to, as Ali said, not only hear your message, but also for you to get in front of a lot of people that you would normally not have been Mm -hmm. able to specifically reach out to on your own. Okay. 
you know, sometimes the things that can make someone good at seeking investment and actually securing that investment are different than the skills that make someone good at running or scaling a business. Do you think that that's problematic? Is it a structural problem or what are your thoughts? It's systemic. Um, (laughs) So from my perspective, I think that there's, and, and this really comes back to both the investment side and the entrepreneur side about being realistic about what they're getting themselves into. I think that, you know, you can have a great pitch and you could be an amazing speaker and really engaging the audience. But if your product isn't there or it's not what you're saying it is, that's a problem. That's a big problem. And then if you're not able to show that you're able to, to run the business, like, you know, I, that's why I say, 20 to 10% of my time is actually doing the pitching because the rest of the time I'm going after our clients, making sure we're touching base with them. Like it's actually running the business and and moving the needle forward. I don't think that we would have gotten this far had the pedal not been to the metal, you know? And so there's, there's some people that I feel when they go into investment, they're, they're not ready yet. Or, you know, even myself, I really was questioning, are we ready for investment? Are we getting there? And it's about slowly moving that needle forward so that everyone sees that, yeah, we're making progress. But at the same time, I feel like there's, you know, certain particular types of companies, certain types of industries that are very lucrative for investors. And and their goal is to, you know, triple, quadruple, and even like, you know, 50 times their money. And that's what they're after. They don't want to see somebody just kind of, you know, humming along and and slowly making that hockey stick curve. They want to get that big hockey stick curve. So I think that there's a little bit of desire and a little bit of need on their behalf. So it's really about positioning yourself in a way that, yes, this is where we are now, but this is where we're going to be in, you know, three years, five years, and 10 years. We're going to get you that exit, right? Yeah. And with... (sighs) You shouldn't be pitching investors if you're not interested in the business side of things, right? Agreed. Yeah. You, you just, you shouldn't, you shouldn't. And though, like, as I said, like, I have a really weird past. Like, I came from, like, I, I have a degree in astrophysics. I have been doing publishing, but I never ran Story City. I would never have run Story City and I would never have gotten as far as I did if I was not like, can this make money? Because it's not helpful for, for me to A, not be making money because I can't pay my own bills. But B, it's not helpful to anyone who's working with me to to be able who's who's putting their eggs in my basket like I have a duty to the people who are working with me to make sure that I that I can deliver and that this is a viable business and so it's the same thing with investors like investors are not easy money right like investors they're they're someone who you have to partner with who you are seeing as business partners who you can leverage knowledge out of if if you want to make an investment ready company, you have to be comfortable learning about the business and diving into the terms and conditions. Because otherwise, if you don't, you're going to end up signing a contract or a term sheet that really, at the very least, screws you over later, potentially screws over your team later, potentially screws over your investors later. And mm-hmm. and you you want to be able to, like, if you're raising money from angels, your angels want to know that if you then go on to raise money from VCs, that you're not going to screw them over right? And so I see it as a community thing. Like if you want to hold your community together, if you want to actually make a proper impact, then you have to take all sides of it from business to sales to technology. Like I know so much more about coding than I did 
12 <laughs> months ago uh, that I ever thought I would need to. But but like you you have to learn that side and you have to learn the business side and you you have to do the financial spreadsheets and you you really need to like be excited about that business side of things. And so yes, like pitching can take you a little bit away from the businesses and it's important to have a good story because people very rarely buy just off numbers, they buy off emotion and people get emotion from the storytelling aspect of that. But you shouldn't be going after investment unless you're comfortable with constantly learning new things about your business, about others' businesses. And you need to be not an expert in everything. You need to know a little bit about everything in your business, but really lethal in one or two of those areas. And so it's, you know, I wouldn't have gotten this far if I didn't have an awesome team surrounding me, hands down. And so making sure that if you don't have those capabilities, you have somebody else on your team that can step up because that's really what's going to make your team survive, make your business survive. So it's a little bit humbling, but also it's an awareness, right? Yeah. As female entrepreneurs, and so glad that we could have both of you on together and highlight your businesses. What's it like for you in the Edmonton ecosystem, tech innovation ecosystem as female entrepreneurs? What are the challenges? Do you think that it helps you stand out? I stand out no matter what. (laughs) I'm the only six foot redhead I know in the city. (laughs) But I, I don't know, Emily, what would you say on this one? I think that you see similar things to to other places. So people are aware of diversity. They're aware that money goes more to men than to women. They're aware of all of those things. But at the same time, I think that particularly the, the, the grassroots projects that come up in Edmonton, I find better in the long run to some of the more traditional service provider type offerings that are are currently being jiggled around at the moment, right? And it's not because of any like conscious biases that are happening, but it's just because there is a lot of money being held by particular groups within the city and men tend to go more towards this type of career path than women because a lot of the time they have the financial stability to do that. Uh, And a lot of women don't and a lot of other minorities don't. And so I think that's reflected everywhere. And I don't think that Edmonton is any better or worse than anywhere else at that, that I have seen, right? And in Mm -hmm. fact, that that I would say that particularly with things like the Startup TNT Summit, that they are actively trying to gear themselves towards making their, at least investors in the summit, as diverse as they can be. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm kind of echoing what you're saying there, Emily. I think that <laughs> this is something that's near and dear to my heart about diversity and inclusion and equity. And so the driving force behind everything is that recognizing that not every single individual that has the same kind of path on paper, so to speak, will have the same experiences and the same kind of privilege. And so when we talk about women entrepreneurs in the Edmonton ecosystem, I would say that there's probably 10 or so that I can say are are female founders and, you know, count on two hands kind of thing in the ecosystems that are actively engaged. That doesn't mean that there's not more of us out there. It's just, I don't know that they have capacity to come in 
to the ecosystem as much as we do. So we're kind of repeat offenders when it comes to going around to the network events. Totally fine. But this is this is our circle, right? And when it comes to women entrepreneurs, I know a lot of women entrepreneurs. It's just that their background isn't tech. Well, neither is mine. And so when I talk about what I'm doing and I say that I have a tech startup company, people kind of look at me like, oh, that's interesting. And I almost want to be like, and you can have one too. <laughs> but kind of getting them to, to come forward and say, you know, I have this great idea or I have this pain point that I want to solve. And I want to make sure that there's other people that can can help me bring it to fruition. And there's lots of great resources that can ha- kind of suss out what that actual pain point is and going through the steps. And quite honestly, I think my journey officially began with doing a lean canvas with Startup Edmonton at one of their events back in twenty early 2019. So this has really been almost two years of kind of working through the iterations of having this kind of startup. But that being said, you know, the room was equally split back then. So so what's the difference between those that can make it and those that can't? I am going to stand on my privilege right now and say, it is because I have support. It is because I had a job that paid me well beforehand. It is because my husband has a job that pays him well, that I am able to just not suffer, but sacrifice myself into the startup so I can put as many hours through and, and work it out. Whereas other people might not have that ability. So I, I reflect on the privilege that I have coming to be a woman entrepreneur. I, I would really agree with that, uh, Ali, in that uh, I am very, very privileged, right? My husband has a great job, which is not COVID reliant, that he can continue to work through a pandemic like this. He brings in enough money where we've always been frugal with our money. We've always been great at saving it. And so as a result, I have been able to work full time on this business. I don't have children. Like for me, I am in a very privileged position because over the past 12 months. So I, I kind of was able to establish Story City again in Edmonton in, in November. When I first worked here, I, I was in a job and I couldn't work on, uh, I could only partially work on, on Story City at the same time. And so it was only because I'm in that privileged position that I was able to kind of quit last year and then pick Story City up in, in November. But it's been 12 months of me essentially like working really hard to build our team, to build our network, to to make sure that our, you know, our tech was being built that we were starting to to build together like various members of our team to to start looking at how do we we build our investor networks and all of those kind of things so that's the sort of work that like a lot of people can't afford to take that much time mm-hmm away. Yeah. Actually, one of the very first conversations I had with someone in the ecosystem was they said to me, have you done a friends and family round? And I was like, I haven't, like we've completely bootstrapped or done things via grants. And I, and I work in this full time, you know, for, I don't take any wages, you know, and like, that's where I'm at. I'm at. And they're like, oh, well, a friends and family round proves that like you have people having buy-in. And I was like, no, a friends and family round proves that you have a circle of people around you who are deep pockets, <laughs> uh, have deep pockets or, or aren't in poverty, right? Like it, it penalizes mm. people who come from underprivileged backgrounds. And I don't by any means come from an underprivileged background, but like my main circle of people is the arts industry, which has a systemic reliance on government grants, which 
that needs to change and that's a different conversation. But the people around me were all affected by, you know, their stock market crashes in 2008 and mm-hmm. lost a lot of money. And so like the people that I have around me are, are just managing to scrape through and I knew no one who had deep pockets and I am like, I'm still privileged. So imagine someone who isn't even in my position. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. So many great points. And I think that's a really important conversation to keep having. And Jolene from Future Field said it's, it is a good conversation to keep having, but it's also about the actions too. And I think that that's really important as well. Well, thank you both so much. A really great conversation about pitching and lots of other stuff as well. Good luck. I know you're at the time of recording this, you're getting ready to pitch at the Investment Summit. So best of luck and thank you both so much. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. So, Zach, you know Ali and Emily from the startup community. What were your thoughts about what they had to say about the community, about pitching, and everything else we talked about? You know, it was great to hear them speak about it. You know, they're both really well-spoken. They're both out there, and they commented on this. They're both out there, not just building companies, but building relationships with the broader community and participating in the community. And they talked about the importance of doing that. But, you know, it also struck me how they talked about how not everyone is really interested or maybe capable of doing that in the same way. So they talked a lot about like understanding their own privilege and stature in life and that we as a community need to remember that, you know, not everyone can raise a friends and family round. Not everyone can naturally speak to a a crowd the way they can. And, you know, all of us as a community have to remember that, that there's lots of good people out there that aren't as upfront and in your face, (laughs) if you will, in a positive way about, about their success. Yeah, I really enjoyed talking to both of them. And after our interview, Ali actually said something that stood out to me. She has a post-it note on her desk that says she is the 3%. And that's the 3% of companies that are female founded. And that number actually goes down when it comes to diversity and leadership as well. So I thought that was really interesting. That just that reminder of keeping that in mind with everything she does. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think you know, we should remember that too as investors, like we're at an even smaller grouping in terms of the grand scheme of the world, in terms of our stature in the world. And so, you know, what do we do with that power and that wealth and that knowledge? And I hope that at Startup TNT, we're, we're using it in a very positive way for the community. And I hope that people like Ali and Emily are supported by us, not just with money, but with mentorship and support and advice, and that they can go on making a positive impact as well. Well, we don't actually know who will be on the episode next week because of the time of recording this. The Investment Summit hasn't happened yet, but you will hear from one of the Edmonton companies for that final sixth episode in the series. I can promise you that. We are almost at the end here, but you can catch a new episode of Igniting Innovation every Wednesday until the end of November. Thanks to Alberta Innovates and the Edmonton Regional Innovation Network. It is helping to fund this podcast series through a community initiatives grant. You can learn more about eRIN at edmontonrin.ca. And if you're enjoying these episodes, make sure to leave a review or subscribe wherever you listen to your podcast. This is Taproot Edmonton Presents Igniting Innovation.